It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio. <laughs> it's Monday night. Uh, we got a brand new intro song for uh, Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Tonight we're talking San Diego Comic Con. But first, I want to say hi to Alana, who I haven't talked to in like two weeks. And I figure you can talk about the music clip and where it came from and give all the big thanks to those involved. Oh, sure. Thank you. Yeah, so... Um, we, for the very first time of theme music, I've been getting on the case of my brother, David, to uh, make us a theme song for a little while now. Um, he just came off tour. He does music for pop artists. Uh, and um, I told him I wanted a theme song for the podcast that was either something that would sound like it was by Hawkwind or John Carpenter music. And he's like, yeah, that's, I can't, that's not really my thing. And then... I was listening to some of his clips, and I said, oh, you do a lot of really interesting stuff that sounds like power metal, and clearly power metal done by synthesizers equals the kind of thing that you would have for a comic podcast. So I, when I played it for my husband, he actually thought it sounded like the video game music that you might have, like on, a, um, on, an, on an arcade game, and I think that sounds just about right, actually. Oh, yeah, like that's part of the reason I love it is it sounds like 8-bit music, which is kind of awesome, so I'm a yeah, big fan of it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, cool. Well, thank you, David Levin, my my brother, who is such a big Marvel fan. I feel like we should just, like, not even mention DC this podcast in honor of him, but that's <laughs> going to be impossible. Uh, it's going to be difficult, because uh, there's a lot to talk about at San Diego Comic-Con, and some of the cool news does involve DC, so... And um, it does, it does. Hold your ears, yes. David. Don't, don't, don't get too offended, you know. <laughs> well, we'll try to focus on Marvel, though. It's, uh, it was a little difficult because, well, actually, no, there's some good Marvel stuff. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, for those who don't know, San Diego Comic-Con took place last week from um, July, what was it, 8th to 12th? Yeah, that's about right. Um, 8th was the pre-game night, and it ended on the 12th. Uh, it takes place in San Diego. There is... Um, officially, I believe there's 130,000 people that uh, attend through tickets. Um, there's an estimated 60,000 people that show up to just hang out in the area and attend the stuff that you don't need tickets for. And then um, there's probably another 10 to 50,000 that are like supporting the show. So roughly about a quarter of a million people show up in this uh, downtown San Diego to celebrate geekdom. And it's not just comics, it's movies, toys, television, uh, some video games, some board games, uh, lots of cosplay. Uh, it's everything geek. It's kind of awesome. Uh, some describe it as the mecca of geekdom. Um, so I was there from that Wednesday and flew back uh, Monday, and it's been a week, and I'm still freaking exhausted. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just came back from the, from the Network Nation conference, which is a movement conference for people who do sort of online progressive work. And I think that um, we, between the two of us, we've spent a great number of hours talking lately, which means that my head is full of ideas. 
So this should be a very good podcast. Well, my yeah. voice is very low. My voice is low on sound. <laughs> I'm <getting high laughs> So, so how was Netroots? I know it made some news uh, for some, um, oh, I don't God. know if we'll call it reasons. I don't know how to no, describe it, really. Yeah, I mean, depending on who you ask. Who you ask I don't, I, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to sidetrack too much because I know people aren't here to listen to me talk about this, but yeah, I really yeah. was impressed by um, the Black Lives Matter folks who came up and like demanded the presidential candidates address their concerns, did something really important. Um, they gave the candidates an opportunity to do that, and the candidates failed, which I think shows you something about their preparedness to engage on those issues. But since then, both O'Malley and Sanders have come out and done better, done a better job speaking about those issues. So I think they presented a challenge to the elected, I mean, sorry, to the candidates who should have been able to, you know, come up and, and take that challenge, and, you know, they, they messed it up in that moment. Um, I would also argue that O'Malley messed it up as governor of Maryland in real life as well. Um, but uh, that now, like, they're responding to it because of the confrontation. So, again, yeah. I think this is a theme that you and I have raised when we talked about activism in the comics world. Like, sometimes things have to get uncomfortable if you're going to make progress. And I think those of us who are in positions of uh, authority or positions of privilege or positions of power in these things, I think it's on us to lean into the discomfort um, and ask ourselves why we're uncomfortable and yeah. listen to people. Yes, it's a very good point, and uh, um, but it's not quite germane to the to the show. Um, I think last year there was some stuff that was like geeky that was done or was around. But anything at the at this conference this year? Nothing in particular. Um, but I will say that um, I, yeah, I was on a panel about pop culture a couple of years back where I got to show folks the famous. Psylocke animation where from the Escher girls where they have her sort of bopping around and it plays I feel like chicken tonight. Um, so that was, an, that was an, uh, an important moment in the history of geekdom. But um, no, but we have begun a conversation with some folks uh, in part inspired by your uh, at requesting for there to be uh, voter registration happening at comics conventions. Um, there's been some interest in actually working to make that happen now. Yay! Um, yeah, actually, it was kind of funny. It kind of came out of San Diego Comic Con as well, um, where one of the guys I roomed with um, works for the labor department, but you know, obviously political in nature, and um, well connected. And he's got friends at Rock the Vote, and he kind of brought it up to them and was like, "Why aren't you here registering people?" And they didn't really have an answer to that. Um, so looks like it might happen on like multiple fronts. So hopefully, if multiple people work on it, then at least one will succeed. Uh, which will be awesome to see because there's a lot of people that show up to these conventions and I gotta imagine that uh, even if you get 0.1% of them to uh, register to vote, like that's thousands of people. Yeah. Which is that's impressive. Awesome. Yeah, so, you know, and every, every person counts, so um, to just get, you know, those thousands would be huge for many, many, many reasons. Um, so I'm hoping it actually happens. It'll be it'll be interesting, and um, you know this is the time to do it, considering the you know elections coming up, and there's things to do, and actually you know get people excited about and focused on. Uh, so we'll see. Oh, crossing my fingers. Nerdvote.com is live with a little bit of animation. What doesn't have any? Yeah, pretty exciting. That's so awesome. Keep, keep your eyes uh, there. Yeah. I will uh, I'll make sure to tweet that up. 
so yeah, so there, I'm trying to think political wise. So uh, there were you there were two panels. I just want to repeat again: you were on two panels at Comic Con. Yes, so, so actually the panels. The panels I thought were kind of interesting. Um, so I was kind of a last minute addition for one that was about ethics in journalism. Um, actually about ethics in comics journalism. Right. Yeah, I, was, I like to repeat that actually, actually about ethics and comics journalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was going to be the focus. Uh, there was rumblings online that it was going to be crashed by Gamergate, which uh, didn't quite happen. There was one guy at the end who was definitely a part of them, um, but he didn't really derail anything um, and was actually very friendly and asking questions and wasn't really super combative. So um, as far as that, not much news out there. Uh, but then it was interesting. A lot of it focused on Airboy. I would actually say almost too much of it focused on Airboy. And whether or not websites can be, uh, websites or news in general can have an angle and focus and be activists. Which gotcha. I thought is kind of, that was kind of fascinating. Um, I thought that was a different discussion than ethics. Um, but like I can kind of see that they're like well, tangentially. It's a question of the role of journalism. It's like, what is the role of comics journalism? Is the role of comics journalism yeah. to be a mouthpiece for the publishers? It is for some sites, but not for ours. Is it yeah. guys the free gifts people get? Well, it is for some sites, but Brett is very militant about having us explain when we've gotten <laughs> copies and everything like that. It is the role of comic sites to just act like there isn't a power imbalance in our mass media communications and ignore problems. Well, some sites do, but graphic policy does not. And graphic policy leans into the discomfort of the inequity <laughs> in the community. And, um, and graphic policy is a place where we can do advocacy as a result of it. And, you know, like, I don't think we don't pretend to be like this objective blah, blah. We do research and we're thorough and we don't go into speculation and we don't repeat rumors. And you are really dedicated to not believing the hype, but to doing the research and having the real journalistic integrity around those things. But that doesn't mean that doesn't it isn't to the exclusion of having opinions, and it isn't to the exclusion of yeah. having an agenda. It just means you're transparent about it. Well, so, it's funny on the topic as a whole, and I didn't quite get a chance to bring it up. And you know, I, I wanted to bring up the whole thing about freebies and disclosure and transparency, um, which is funny because that's something for those that actually give a crap about that when it comes to the gamer date. I do agree with them on it, um, but uh, I didn't get a chance to do that. But it's. Uh, it was, it was interesting in that, like, I just already made a statement. I was like, you know, we are very upfront as to who we are and what we do. And, you know, you, if you don't like that, you probably shouldn't come to our site. Um, you know, we do have opinion pieces. We research stuff out. And we, you know, talk with a political angle. Um, but we are honest and open about it and very apparent about what we believe and all that. Um, and I also kind of think about, like, the back days of when newspapers were just starting. Like most of them, or not, I would say most of them, a lot of them were owned by the political party and had an angle. Um, so like journalism kind of started out that way back in the day. Like there was usually two newspapers uh -huh. in the town and one was run by the Democrats and one was run by the Republicans and they took shots at each other. Um, so it's kind of in the tradition, good or bad, like this isn't like a new thing that's come out of nowhere. Um, and let's face it, Fox News basically is nothing but a political mouthpiece. Um, yeah. So it's not like this doesn't exist in what I'll call real journalism. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the air quotes. That's the key. 
yes, you can't see it, but I've done it. Um, and I did it. I did it today. Like, um, there was a, an issue. There's a, um, the Copyright Office put out a report about something known as Orphan Works Act, and there's an organization that uh, supposedly represents uh, creators, and I watched their video, and I read their kind of alerts and what people were saying, and what they were saying isn't what the what this is going, you know, was actually happening, and they kept on saying this is legislation, and I'm like, nope, this is a report and an inquiry. These things happen all the time. Doesn't mean legislation is necessarily happening, and it's not legislation, and there's nothing before Congress. So I kind of dropped a truth bomb on it. So of course, the people who were originally um, advocating for the other side that I kind of I won't even say the other side because I agree with them on some stuff um, are a little pissed because I kind of called them out for the bullshit that they threw out by actually doing research and watching their video and reading the legislation and the bullet points. So this is kind of what we do here, and I have no problem with that. So uh, basically, I rained on someone else's parade uh, today, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, <laughs> but this is what we do, so it's all good. And we'll, apparently, we got slash dotted too. I'm sorry, say it again? I said, apparently, we got slash dotted too. We did? Yeah. For covering it accurately? Yeah, for the, for the copyright thing that I did today. Oh, that's great. Yeah, right. I just noticed that one, so that's kind of cool. Um,. But yeah, so the panel, that panel, it was interesting. There was like six or seven people on it, which was probably the downside because that just meant that folks didn't have a whole lot of time to talk and bring up their opinions. So that was kind of like the bad thing. Um, there is a website that has all the panels. I know I've linked to it once or twice. But um, if people want to listen to it, you can kind of hear what was being said. I attempted to periscope it and failed miserably. Um, I'm not too shocked on that. What, what was the conversation around Airboy on the panel that ended up being about that? Was it primarily about the question of whether you could do advocacy work on your comics blog? Yeah, so it started off with, you know, just kind of like explaining the issue, and I explained it and kind of went through the history of it, and then said, so, you know, we wrote our commentary, and then there was a little pushback. I made a comment that said, you know, we did the action because people weren't talking about it and these things weren't going on, and there was a little pushback. Um, saying, no, it followed the pattern that everything follows, that, you know, it usually takes a day lag, which isn't what I said. I said that the volume wasn't there. Um, and, you know, and, there we were, had, and we had waited, like, a while. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and um, you know, I think the, the volume wasn't there, which made it also seem like it wasn't happening in a while. Like, you look at most things, it's usually about 24 or 48 hours is the sweet spot as to when things really pick up. Um, but, you know, we waited our 36 hours, and there wasn't much conversation going on. So it wasn't so much it wasn't following the pattern, because it really does follow the arc pattern, that, like, hill pattern that you see in a lot of these things. Um, it was just the volume wasn't there, and I kept on reiterating that, you know, look at the table gate, and the volume was three to four times bigger. So which is more important? Yeah. Um, and no one really refuted that one or responded to that one, so it was kind of interesting. Um and then wow. it kind of went, Shocking. yeah. Like, actually linked to our piece. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, there was some interesting topics. I'm trying to think what else. 
there was the idea of like fostering community, which was important, kind of like what's the role of creators or websites about doing that. Um, let's see here. That was kind of like the main topics. Like the Airboy really sucked up a lot of the conversation. It was really interesting because it's not what I expected. Hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm really glad that you guys are able to force that conversation to happen again. Like that's important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was it was cool. I thought it was actually really, really. Um, it was nice. It was. I wish there could have been maybe more discussions about the actual ethics and things like revealing when you have uh, when you get stuff for free and all that type of yeah. stuff. That the stuff that I kind of yeah, felt. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I look forward to the day in which I get more stuff for free. You know, so I can reveal more things <laughs> about. But I do want to. I do want to thank the the companies that do give us stuff because it is one of the only ways that people are, can afford to actually do criticism. But there's no excuse yep. for not having disclosures. Like, you have to have disclosures. Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, beyond that, like, FTC says you should have disclosures because you need to mm -hmm. have people, allow people to be educated as to what you're getting. If you're getting paid for something to endorse it, you need to admit that you're being paid to endorse it. Um, well, not endorse it. We're, we, are, we are being, that's, that's for sure. And this isn't the same as yeah. to endorse it. This is being given free stuff so that, you are more likely to, you know, review it because you've been given it for free. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're not supposed to let it being given it. You're supposed to not let it being given to you for free to color your judgment on whether or not you like it. But it definitely, yeah. it definitely colors your judgment on whether or not you're actually able to cover it in the first place. It's an interesting issue. Um, but I really am glad that we are so upfront in explaining like our ethics around these things. So. Yes, that's one thing I pride myself on. I kind of like that part. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Yeah, but the second panel was actually kind of cool. It was Sunday from 3.30 to 4.30, which isn't the great time, greatest time to have it. There's probably like 20 to 30 people, um, with about a little over half women. Um, and the topic was the, uh, the future of fan culture. And we mostly focused on like, demographics and the numbers. So Heidi, who uh, runs the beat, and also blogs for Publishers Weekly, has this great like, history and all kinds of slides of the history of um, surveys that have been out there that like um, that uh, DC did at one point and some other folks did. And it, it's actually really humorous because I think, remember right, DC in the 70s um, on their survey was like, what, uh, what interests do you have? And one of the things to check off was like black people. Um, interest? Yeah, interest was like oh my black God. culture, something like that. Yeah, it was. It's really fucking funny. Black culture. Yeah, it was like black culture, black people, something like that. Okay, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, um, very yeah. revealing. Yeah, there. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's it, it screams seventies. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, she, I, uh, so, this is, so she went through the history, which was cool, and then Rob Sokowitz, who does uh, some stuff at ICV2 and has a book out, uh, presented some um, data from Eventbrite who did all these like cross tabs, and it was actually really, really interesting as to like who pays for what, um, what people are interested in, um, who shows up to conventions, why are they there. Um, he wanted, I think, more detail than they did, they released in the... Um, press release they put out, but it was actually really, really fascinating. And this panel was caught to you on uh, on audio, so you can listen to it as well. And then we okay. dove into, yeah, yeah, that one was cool. And then the other one was um, was me, who 
really focused on a lot of the Facebook demographic data. And we kind of spun out of the conversation from there. Um, and it was good. It was like, you know, why do people, why do companies not pay you know, attention to this data? Like, why aren't they kind of acting on it? Um, you know, are they leaving money on the table? What would yeah. you do with the data? Like, that type of stuff. And it was actually, I think, a really, really great conversation. Um, it's a type of stuff I like because you can actually go back and forth with the crowd and, and say, you know, this is how I would use it. Um, and then my kind of conclusion that I said was, you know, the creators and the publishers that really get this stuff and how to, like, do grassroots organizing and use data to find new readers, like, those are going to be the ones that not only survive in the future, but are going to thrive in the future, um, mm -hmm. which everyone seemed to agree with. But it was, it was a very neat panel. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was a lot of fun. So hopefully we're going to do it again. Uh, I don't know That's where I really feel like this is the sort of conversation that is going to be vital for saving the comics industry from itself. Um, and I'm glad it was given such a high profile piece. The Washington Post wrote up in the day. I mean, that's huge. Yes. Um, the Washington Post had, had a piece on it. Um, the, the guy who wrote that was supposed to be the moderator for the panel. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't do it, I, uh, I think, because, like, family issues or whatever. But the, uh, um, another uh, one of the posts from the word balloon took over. Uh, and he was great. I thought he was uh, fantastic um, uh, to do it. So he he recorded it, and I'm sure it'll be on the the word balloon at some point. And uh, uh, he, I know he posted on his website, and he wants me to come on at some point to talk about it. I mean, it was overall awesome conversation. It was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was the type of panel I would love to do over and over and over again. Um, yeah, definitely. And did you guys talk at all about the role of Tumblr and social media in like promoting work and finding audiences? Not tons. Um, I mean, it was kind of that idea that you know you got to kind of engage in two-way conversations, and that stuff came up. Um, but we didn't really dive into specific communities or like how maybe communities differ. Um, but it was. Uh, I mean, it was like touched on probably briefly, um, which was fine. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was cool. It was interesting. It was, I liked it. Like, I liked it a lot. It wasn't really as much of like a how-to with specifics, but it was kind of the general, like, here's the data, where, here's the, where things are going. This is how things have changed. Um, hmm. Here's actual facts that you could kind of do stuff with, which was pretty cool. Do they have stats all about when, what period in time have had the most women reading comics? Like, do they know if the Silver Age had more than today? Or, uh, well, I know there were studies like way back in the day that said the, I think it was the Gold Age actually had the more, most women reading because people uh, uh, traded books so much. I mean, I think that's historically right. Um, but that's one of those, like, I don't know where that data actually comes from. I just heard, had heard that fact, like, brought up a few times. Um, it makes sense. I mean, comics were more saturated into people's newsstands and things like that where people would find them. Yeah. But, and there was I mean, more I, variation, too. Like, you had romance comics back then and horror comics and action, you know, crime comics and superhero comics and then... Um, some of everything, yeah. Oh, yeah. I recently heard on a podcast, I was listening to a podcast called Intuit with Al Collins, which is an interesting podcast folks might want to check out. Um, he had an episode about Kirby, so of course I listened to that because I'm a Jack Kirby obsessive. 
apparently Jack Kirby had suggested Marvel in the 80s do a, maybe it was late 70s, like when he went back to Marvel after DC, do a comic called um, Modern Divorce. <laughs> you know, he had, he had done that, he had done the series, he had in fact his romance comics, I always forget that because I don't really read them, but it's a pretty genius thing to have invented in the first place. Um, the idea that, you know, like he wanted to keep having like relationship driven stories, but ones that would be like more contemporary and maybe appeal to an older audience. And I thought that that was like kind of amazing, especially in light of like the rebirth of romance comics that's coming right now out of independent publishers. Like, was it called Rosie Press? Um, uh, yeah, Rosie Press has uh, got fresh romance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. I would read a comic that was called like Divorce uh, or whatever in that piece of fantastic. Modern movie. Divorce. Especially, <laughs> yeah, especially if it was uh, was Kirby doing it. I think it would be so awesome. Mm-hmm. Every single moment would be as dramatic as humanly possible. And, um, oh my God, now I feel like I need to write this as a parody, but like a loving parody. You know what would be even like more amazing? Is it- when, you would, when you would sign the divorce papers, it would look like the source wall with the ring written on. I think it would be awesome if he did it as a uh, as a bookend to his young romance book, and it was the same couples. Mhm, mhm, mhm. So it's like gone through marriage of these two different volumes, so you can see them like courting each other, and then you can see their divorce years later. And you know what else? I bet you, because of the time period they were written in, there's plenty of things in those romance comics that, by today's standards, would be like horrifying, and they could have in the divorce comics proceedings. It would be like look at all these horrible things that they did, and it would cut back to stuff in the 50s, and you'd be like, wow, your husband is truly abusive, and I'm really glad you're breaking up with him. Um, <laughs> anyway, so San Diego Comic-Con, a lot of news there. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so the thing that really surprised me was, um, and I'm not the only one to notice it, was it really felt like the year of the woman, um, that there has been a massive shift, not just in who's attending, but who the... Uh, folks that were uh, displaying were kind of catering to. Uh, there's tons of panels about diversity and women and their role and creators. So that was there. But the things that I noticed were like at the, the Hasbro booth. Um, and it's something that I don't think too many other folks either uh, noticed or picked up on was there was uh, multiple Black Widow toys. There was multiple Scarlet Witch toys with Age of Ultron um, branding. So Hasbro listened and is releasing female figures. There was also an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. set that had uh, two female figures. And then if you went over to Mattel, they've got their deal with uh, DC about the kind of the, that girl power, um, Supergirl, I forgot what it's called, like super, young superheroes, whatever it is, that they announced a while ago. Well, they were giving like capes out that had um, the brand um, to kids. And, of course, I took one because I'm just mm-hmm. a grown-up kid. Um, and then there was um, in the like the Batman versus Superman display for like every Batman and Superman figure, there was a Wonder Woman figure. So um, I think maybe there was only like one or two instances where that wasn't it, the case, but it was like a there was like a Rock'em Sock'em robot type thing. So you could really only have two figures there. And I thought, well, forgot what the other one was, but like in the two or three different versions sizes of action figures, there was Wonder Woman for each of them. So um, it was, to me, very kind of clear and apparent that not only were they, like, 
this was a segment they rec- recognized as a thing, but they were really actively going for it. Like at the DC booth, and they like a or these toys priced at like a, a normal consumer price range. They're not like priced just for collectors. Yeah, I'm sure. I think they're just normal toys. Like they, all these look like they would be the normal stuff you would find, find in Toys R Us or um, or you know Target or whatever. Um, these weren't like the the primo. $50 figures that only collectors want. They just seemed like they were like the normal toy line, so probably 10 to 20 bucks a piece figures. Like little kids will actually end up getting. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So um, I thought that was really, really awesome. awesome. Um, Star Wars, I think they had like a couple female figures. Speaking of Hasbro for their Transformers, their like big giveaway for uh, Transformers, they had two of them. One of them was a set of three female Transformers. Um, and a comic that featured them. Um, of course, I bought that set because it's freaking awesome. Um, is there, like, the not to get completely sidetracked. Okay, I'm, this is going to completely sidetracked. The existence of there being female-identified robots is like kind of an awesome statement about the nature of gender as a social construct, right? It's, it's really like, robots, interesting. So it's, just, like, yeah. they, so it's really that they decided they're female, and so they're female, and like that's that's all it takes, and that's awesome. Right? I mean, I don't know Transformers. That's not my... That's your thing. <laughs> Fighting robots is your territory. Um, but that's how I hear it. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the other is that the, these particular ones are... Um, uh, their entire thing is hunting down, like, the big giant combiners. So not only are they female, like, they are hunters and just, like, whip-ass females. Um, I think just before San Diego Comic Con, they actually they announced a all female combiner figure. So it's going to be mm-hmm. like five or six robots that all kind of combine combine into a bigger one. They're all female figures. Um, it's uh, it's pretty sweet. So there's a lot of focus on that. I thought it was really really fascinating. At the DC booth, they had the Batman uh, versus Superman, like the Batman outfit, the Superman outfit, and they also had the Wonder Woman outfit. Um, which was pretty neat. Um, one of the biggest draws at the Mar- Marvel booth was Haley Atwell. Um, oh, that place course. was mobbed. Yeah, completely mobbed for her. Um, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast were like almost completely, uh, at least the female uh, on the women on the show, were like almost completely overwhelmed as they were walking on the floor, which I've never seen before. Um, oh. Yeah, it was... It was really, really cool. Um, I, I got to give like massive props to everyone. It clearly were, um, uh, they were. This was clearly an area they were focused on, and they like really did a bunch to um, to kind of right the ship. I would say in the nicest way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so the other one, and I was going ecstatic over it. So the, I kicked off. San Diego Comic-Con with an invite-only um, event to with DC collectibles. So they're the ones that do, like, the DC toys and the statues. Um, and I wasn't able to take figure, uh, photos of them, which I'm kind of pissed about. They got uh, two next year that I, like, I love. So there's a statue of Power Girl and Superman. They're kind of done up like um, 30s uh, circus strongmen. And, it's, and you know the pose where, like, the strongman will have the woman on his shoulder? Yes. Yeah, so flip that, and instead of the woman on the shoulder, Superman's on Power Girl's shoulder. Well, of course. Oh, my God, I want that. And I really yeah. don't like, care about, I mean, I don't like, 
I'm not a Tories person. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of those eyeshadow statues. I'm like, I want this. Um, because it was it was an awesome statue to be first, um, and then the pose and what it kind of represented was so huge. And then the other one that I freaked out was they have um, part of their DC collectible figures next year are coming out with, I think it's a two-set. It might be two different figures. One is Batgirl based off of Arkham Knight, but the thing that I really love is they have Oracle as Arkham Knight. So it is Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair, um as an action figure, which I don't think has ever been released before. Um, I found one other figure, interesting enough, that was in a wheelchair that I think had to do with Monster High, but the details mm-hmm. on the figure was amazing, and um, they just, I mean, it looked beautiful. The, the figures were absolutely jaw-dropping beautiful to look at, uh, but to me, like, to have an action figure of Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair as Oracle is so huge and so amazing. Yeah, um, totally. That I, like, I I praised them afterwards. I was like, if people don't go apeshit when you finally like release that, I'm gonna be shocked because they my jaws dropped for both of those. And and she and the woman I was talking to kind of joked, and she's like, yeah, we're kind of expecting the internet to just blow up when that is essentially released. Um, See, this is totally a sign of like people actually listening to the fandom that they know that that's a demand and that they're providing it. You know. Yeah, and like it to me, like I got the vibe that they were actually like listening for once, um, that they kind of heard what everyone was saying, and, like, are finally getting it, which is awesome. And it's great to see and hear. Um, and it's, like, so, so different from, you know, the past cons and all that that I've been to where it was just we're going to kind of sell our stuff and not really care about anything um, of who's interested in it. But this, to me, really came off like we, you know, all this stuff went down. We realized that we were kind of like lacking in this area, and we were making concerted effort to to change things and right the ship, um, which was great. That's like, great. You, yeah, yeah, um, really, really cool to see. And then um, the lot of interviews, which was nice, and those will start going up hopefully this week. And yeah, I mean, it was San Diego was a very interesting convention. It's um, it's a lot like New York, except I think more movies and more television um, and just bigger. And it's not as confined. Like, New York to me is very confined to the Javits Center, whereas it's literally all downtown San Diego is involved in San Diego Comic-Con. Um, the hotels, the even the, the sports stadiums, the marina, like, if there's an ounce of space, if there's a park, it's being used for something, which is pretty cool to see and, and be a part of. So, I mean, overall, like, awesome show, um, tons of stuff coming out of it from the site. And, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a good time. And so much, so many things I can't talk about. Because <laughs> it's not, not public yet? No, 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 just things, you know, the type of things of drinking at a bar type stories that I can't talk about. <laughs> oh, okay. I can tell you about, but I'm not going to say it on the air. Um, but it was nice with I, so I finally met Steve Orlando in person. Oh, great. Yeah, he's been on our show before to talk about Undertow as creator. His yeah, creator, so... Creator and title. And now he's writing Midnighter, which everybody's all about. And rightfully yes. so. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, like, he's one that I've never met in person, so to be able to actually say hi to him and um, meet him in person is, I think, pretty was pretty awesome. Um, I always actually like meeting the people that we talk to. Mm-hmm. 
Indeed. <laughs> do, we, do you have any um, written uh, interviews that will be coming up on the website soon? Yeah, so tomorrow I think the first one's going to go up. It's with Chris Warner, who I talked to about uh, Barbara Wire, which is out from Dark Horse. Um, and, you know, you might sit there and say, oh, Barbara Wire. The first issue is actually a lot about gentrification, and he said the I'm series sorry, as a whole is about what it. Is the, what is the name of this book? I, I didn't catch that. Uh, Barbara Wire. What? Barbara Wire, like the old uh, the Pamela Anderson movie, Barbara Wire. Oh, Barbara Wire. Yeah, so he's kind of like updated it a bit, um, and it's not uh, it's it's what it's really good. Like I like the I like the uh, the comic as kind of a whole, um, but the first issue, a lot of it's about gentrification, and like she has her bar, and folks want to um, re uh, develop the bar, so she's kind of got to deal with that. So a really really cool aspect, and I just kind of brought it up to him. And he seemed to like really perk up as that like cool. Someone noticed this, so we wound up talking about it and talking because he's in uh, Portland, I think. So we kind of talked about how like there was gentrification in his neighborhood. He wanted to include it in his story, and that he feels like you need to kind of include these sort of things to make it like real. It was, it's actually really really cool. Um, so that would be up. That the, yeah, so that's the one video I did that will be up tomorrow. Um, and it was, it, was, it was good. And then the other ones that I thought was really interesting, like everyone I asked political questions, and they seemed really cool about it. Um, so there's one uh, graphic novel that's not coming out until October called Two Brothers from um, Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. And um, it's about two Brazilian brothers who have like a fight and one sent off to Lebanon, and he comes back five years later. And it's based off a, a story by a guy who's an Arab-Brazilian and um, he wrote it about the military regime in Brazil. So, of course, I had to ask them about that and be like, you know, I, I know Brazil's kind of messed up right now with all these things. Like, is the story as pertinent now as it was then when it comes to this? And they, like, both perked up and actually, like, really went with the, the answer and were really digging it, which I thought was really cool. Because that's not an easy question to, like, throw out and not something I would expect from, like, a comics blogger. That is really interesting, yeah. That is not the normal genre yeah. of fiction exploration. Well, those are very cutting-edge creators, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, folks that we got interviews coming up with is uh, Chris Warner on Bob Wire, Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon, um, Raphael Albuquerque and Scott Snyder talked American Vampire, Steve Orlando talked Midnighter, um, uh -huh. uh, Rob Wolfman, I uh, talked, um, or Mark Wolfman, I talked uh, the upcoming... Uh, I, I, I'm totally blanking on her name. Raven, um, series. Raven series. Yes, and that is interesting that this is happening. I, I, on the one hand, I'm like, oh my god, I need to read this. On the other hand, I'm thinking, I really hope he's talked to some young women between now and the 80s. <laughs> uh, I, I did ask him that a little bit. I don't think he quite got what I was getting at, but he, I, it sounds like he's trying. Um, and I'll give him credit for that. Like he said, he's updated it, uh, the story. It's focusing on her in school, like not her and her father, or not her and her friends. Um, it's not, it, to me, like the the overall vibe I got from it, and I said it to him, and he seemed to agree. Was it sounded like it was a really good companion piece to Gotham Academy? Oh, neat! But she's older. So uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this would be like high school. But I, like, if you like Gotham Academy, you'll probably like this. Is kind of the, is the vibe I got.
Um, so yeah, that, that's one that I think I'm looking forward to. Um, who else? Uh, there's a series called The Paybacks, and I can't think of the creators behind it, and I feel so bad about it. But interviewed them. Um, it, yeah, I interviewed a lot. Oh, I, I, I uh, interviewed Guy Delcor, who is uh, runs or owns Delcor Publishing, the French uh, comic company that has just come to Comicsology. So I got to spend like 10, 15 minutes with him talking about uh, digital comics and the difference between the French and the American um, markets. So that oh, one should be, yeah. So that one should be a pretty cool one. And uh, there was a documentary about steampunk that I got to watch beforehand, and I wrote a review about, and I got to interview the director of it, uh, which was interesting because, and the documentary is really good and, and explores it a little bit. Is steampunk has, of course, uh, an air of colonialism about it on the mm-hmm. style. So, yeah, like the documentary, that or, yeah. Yeah, so I talked to him about that a little bit and just kind of uh, about the the um, kind of group as a whole. So that one was actually really cool, and we kind of just chilled after and uh, just chatted, like, after I turned off the mic, and I think I turned it back on because it was actually winding up being, like, a really good post-conversation. So um, I need to type that one up. Like, all these things are all audio, so I need to type them up and make them coherent. Um well, I think it sounds like people are going to have a lot of really great stuff to, um, you know, get from our, our website very soon. I don't know to what extent yes. this podcast to visit Graphic Policy Radio, but I hope this encourages you to do so. Yes, yes. You can go to graphicpolicy.com and start checking all this stuff out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there was, uh, there was a lot of interviews. So I, the thought I got was that people actually kind of liked the hard questions. Um, no one flipped out about anything I asked. Um, they all liked the rather tougher questions. And um, uh, it seemed to go really well. Like, everyone everyone was happy, and I was very, very happy. It sounds like that'll be a good interview, then, if people are actually getting to really engage on those things. Well, thank you for representing San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, so... talk about uh, some of the juicy movie uh, trailers that are... Yeah. So that was kind of a big thing. That was the thing that I think was fascinating about San Diego. So other than the story of women kind of dominating, there really was no major story that came out of the show. Um, there was a bunch of movies that were, or trailers that were released, you know, Batman vs. Superman being the kind of one of the big ones. Um, I personally thought the trailer kind of made me actually somewhat interested in the movie, at least more so than I was before. Um, they released the Suicide Squad uh, trailer um, that they eventually had to actually release outside the con because, of course, it got leaked. Um, there was a Deadpool trailer that was shown that was leaked and still only the leaked versions out there. And then there was an X-Men Apocalypse trailer that only the leaked version is still out there. Um, and all of them were kind of they were interesting. It seemed like everyone was super excited about Deadpool. Um, but I think out of the winners was kind of Warner Brothers. Like, while Deadpool had maybe people, like, really excited about it, I think Warner Brothers moved the, the needle more, where people actually kind of went from the, your movies are going to suck, to, like, okay, I'm intrigued now, which is a pretty big deal. So, do you want my feedback on the, what's yeah. from um, Batman Superman? So yeah, I, so it's I, I Batman Superman. Quite, 
I can't really deal with what they've been doing to those characters in their framing of them. Um, Superman destroying city blocks without caring about civilians is an anathema to the character. Um, Batman, like, I don't know. I'm just really uncomfortable with the treatment of him, and I can't quite put my finger on why. And I don't think it's just a a Batflick or however you want to call it kind of an issue or something else to it. Um, I was intrigued and also kind of horrified seeing the uh, Robin costume with graffiti on it in the vitrine. You're like, that can't be healthy to just have the still desecrated costume of your former sidekick just sitting there with hateful graffiti thrilled on it as opposed to a more serene and moving tribute perhaps. Um, so I, I, I don't know to what I don't know to what extent that means that like this is you know something which happens after I, I, I don't know if this is gonna like we don't even know which Robin it is really. It could be anybody. But um that weirded me out but kind of intrigued me. Um the stuff with Wonder Woman it isn't just the casting still doesn't do anything for me and I feel like a terrible person for judging her that way, but it just doesn't. Um I would really like a Wonder Woman who looked like she could beat me up. I Call me shallow or superficial or perhaps I'm doing some form of body shaming, but, like, I would like to look at a woman as Wonder Woman who looks like she could actually beat you up. Um, Do you think she should be buff? She should be buff. She should actually have muscles. Women can absolutely have muscles. We have female yeah. athletes that we see. I know women, like, in real life who don't even do this stuff for a living, like, Hollywood is so afraid of showing a woman who doesn't strike them as being conventionally attractive that they can't even bring themselves to show any actual body diversity, that they can't even have diverse people who are good-looking. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let, let, let alone, like, God forbid there should ever be anybody ugly on screen. God forbid there should ever be anybody ugly on screen. <laughs> they can't even have anybody who's attractive but in a non-generic way. Like, that's just pathetic. Um, and I would like some physically strong heroes. I, and I know that other feminists have criticized me for saying that I'm body-shaming or something for that, but I think that, like... I'm not criticizing the actress herself. I'm criticizing the casting, which is so close-minded that it isn't, you know, incorporating, like, realistic-looking superheroes in it. And that's not just true here, but it's particularly felt by me in regards to Wonder Woman. Um, so I guess my status on this movie is going to be, like, if I have to re- if I have to watch it for journalistic integrity, I will. But other than that, like... <laughs> You know, if, it's, if it gets good reviews, then I will watch it. Like, if people are saying this is a really good movie, I will absolutely watch it. But I'm not sitting here looking at that and saying, oh, this is something that really piques my interest. And what, what do you think? So, um, so a couple things. Like, one, where the, the trailer's kind of opening and you're seeing the destruction of uh, Metropolis from um, Bruce's perspective, I think it's really cool, and it actually frames it in a very interesting way and gives reasons as to why he might dislike Superman um, because, you know, he is kind of this average person that's watching this this godlike destruction. Um, And I just thought it was actually a very smart and interesting way to kind of set that up. Um, So that I'm kind of positive about. Um, I'm with you that having the spray-painted... costume of your former partner like up is really disturbing that I always thought having like the costume in general um, of your dead partners in your bat cave was kind of generally disturbing. I'm having some other memorials. I'll be honest, Batman is generally speaking generally disturbing. So 
I feel maybe stupid complaining about that, but I just I I want the, the at least address the fact that it's creepy and awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, but, I mean, it, it, it feels silly to be like saying like, "Oh, Batman is like this is bad because it's creepy." And like, we yeah, it's Batman. Batman is pretty consistent in that way. Yeah. Um, I thought Wonder Woman. She looks better than I thought she did. Um, I'm still kind of like up in the air with her, but I think. There is, um, there's, uh, there's, it's interesting in that the toys, I think, look better than she does on screen, and I'm not sure if it's just what we're seeing, but she seems uh, a bit more kind of, like, uh, built and kind of muscular and kind of, she could kick folks' ass, and I don't know if it's just how, like, the toys are sculpted or whatever it is. But uh, the toys look better, I think, than she does on screen. Um, the so there, there's that. The I think over, like overall, it made me more interested in seeing the film than I was before, which is what it should be doing. So before, like it was a oh, I'll see this just because I feel like I need to go see it. Now it's like okay, there's some aspects of this that seem really kind of cool, and I do want to see it. So. Um, at least move the needle for me. I guess the, that's kind of the, my thought um, overall on that. Squad. So, yeah, Suicide Squad. So, well, what do you think of that trailer? Why did I know you would pivot back to me? So, I, I'll I'll say, it. <laughs> no, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I just think it's like, of course you're pivoting back to me on that. Um, so, my main thing is Amanda Waller is amazing. Um, you know, I, I wanted a mm-hmm. founder like everybody else did. Um, you know, I, I was a little bit disappointed and not surprised that Hollywood couldn't bring itself to cast a larger woman, but I was happy that they cast a serious actress and one who was not a spring chicken um, in yeah. the role. And yeah, she's fucking amazing. She is terrifying. She is just wonderful. And I'm really looking forward to that. The rest of the trailer, you know, it, it's hard to really make out too, too much about the individual characters and what's going to be going on with them. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that I don't want to be too redundant of the last podcast where we discussed this a bit, but um, I'm going to watch it just to see her regardless of anything else. What about you? Yeah. So um, I think Amanda Waller was like completely badass in it. Um, I really, really like that aspect. Um, I thought Margot Ro- Ro- uh, Robbie as Harley Quinn, actually, I liked her. Like, I, I like kind of how she's portraying it. It's not, it's yeah, not, she's uh, yeah, there's something like a craziness about her that, that has been shown so far that I kind of like. Um, so I thought that was cool. I think my only issue and a couple other folks have brought it up that I talked to is they kind of lay it all out. We, like they spell it out for people like we can't figure it out ourselves. So it's like there's a line in there just being like, so what you're saying is we're expendable. We're some sort of suicide squad. And it's just like, really? You need to state the obvious here. Um, but that's an action movie trope, isn't it? Like we're some character. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe it's a movie. Actually, if it was a Marvel movie, I would say, like, this is being done as a joke and to be ironic. But it's a DC movie, so it's probably not. And, yeah, that's kind of silly. Yeah. It's it's one of those that, like, 
I, it could have gone without saying whether or not that line's actually in the movie is a whole other thing because they do have lines and trailers and stuff like that that aren't in the movies. Um, but there's some stuff like that I thought was kind of like laid out a bit too much. Um, but then again, you know, this isn't a property that tons of people know. So maybe they needed to. Like maybe this is what they needed to uh, to get people kind of to figure out what the hell this is about. So, I mean, it looks cool. Uh, it looks cooler than I thought it would. I'm still not quite convinced. Um, like, I hate the the design of, um, I'm totally blanking on his name, Croc- the crocodile uh, Batman character. Killer Croc. Uh, Killer Croc. Yeah, Killer Croc. I hate that design. Um, but some of it looks cool. Like, I think Will Smith is, is dead shot. Like, his actual outfit's pretty good. Marvel Robbie looks good as, as Harley Quinn. Um, you know, some of them I think are pretty spot on. It, It'll be interesting. I think out of all the movies they've announced, that's the one I think might be a flop. But who knows? And then the interesting was the... No, I think Batman vs. Superman could be a flop for all we know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I will think the the one thing I thought was super interesting was the inclusion of the Joker and Jared Leto's laugh like really kind of has me convinced. You know, this isn't a Joker that we've seen. This isn't... um, This isn't... uh, Nicholson, it's not Heath Ledger, it's it's not what we've seen on the cartoons. Like he's really kind of made the character his own, which is which is pretty cool. Um, and his laugh, I think, is spot on. So that one, I think, will be interesting. He is winning me over a bit more than um, than I expected. So well, the, that's the good. character design is the character design is bad, but he can act around it. I guess. That's what yeah. Exactly. And that was my thing was like, who gives a crap really what the character design looks like? If he's going to act, he's going to act. And, let's, and Jared Leto is a pretty amazing actor. So, um, you know, if anyone I mean, can pull that off, people, I think. There's a lot of people who criticize him for taking the role of a, you know, of a trans person, his woman, in the movie, and sort of not acknowledging, like, that he's a man playing that role rather than being a woman. Um, and, uh, Dallas Buyers Club? Yeah, Dallas Buyers Club, God, yeah. It feels like lifetimes ago. I haven't really delved into that as much as I need to. Um, I did. I do know that his interviews around it were remarkably unenlightening, as if he'd, like, hadn't been paying attention at all. But um, I do. I have heard some folks who don't want to see the film because of him being in it. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah, totally get that. Um, and it's one where I don't... I haven't seen the movie. I... I you know, I, it, that it wasn't given to someone who's actually transgender sucks. Um, and, you know, that I wish that was kind of the first thing. Um, but then again, like, he could take the role and act the shit out of it. Like, he really could have been amazing in the role. Um, so there's, like, there's two things to me that, like, there's the him taking the role, period, which is one thing. But he could also be really good in the acting. Um, and I haven't seen it, but I mean, the guy was winning tons of awards, so I, he had to been decent. Um... But yeah, he also seems to go really method with stuff, so the fact that he was clueless and wasn't paying attention doesn't shock me. Um, but it's sort of typical if you think about it. Yeah. You just like yeah. act like you must know everything and you don't have anything to learn from people, whatever. I could keep going on that. <laughs> Let's talk about the profoundly uninteresting trailer for X-Men Apocalypse. A movie, yeah. actually, a movie that I suspect will actually be very good. I suspect. But the trailer was really boring. 
and the character designs look really bad. Um, yeah, so the, it is, yeah, so the, like, for me, the trailer didn't get me excited, um, it kind of teased some stuff, but you got to see Apocalypse, you got to see the character design of, of Storm, it just doesn't look good, it looks like really bad cosplay. Ouch. That's kind of, and they've released photos, and it, to me, it just looks like bad cosplay. It's a shame. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I suspect that with the, the creative team in the end of the day, it'll end up feeling better, but like they just, the trailer, it was kind of boring. Um, and like the most exciting thing I had was like seeing the amazing 80s Jubilee costume, of course, and then just seeing Fassbender because I always am happy to look at Fassbender. Um, <laughs> that was pretty much it. Like I, there was nothing else to it, and the voiceover of Apocalypse was good, but very standard, you know what I mean? It's not like you can't, like, yeah. criticize, like, oh, performance is bad, but it's very much just exactly what you would expect, which is interesting, because if you think about the voice performance for um, um, uh, Ultron, is Ultron had some character to it. Ultron wasn't the most obvious robot voice. It had something else going on that made it, I think, more interesting, and I think that um, Apocalypse might benefit from that as well, if they had that, you know, in, in how the and how the voice was acted in the in, in the movie. So, yeah, so like Oscar Isaac is the one that is uh, in the role, and he's a pretty solid actor. So um, I think he would do he's going to do good in acting. But the the thing that's funny. Um, is Apocalypse, like, can change size and kind of change his look and stuff like that, so I'm going to be fascinated to see how much they do of that, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, which, like, to me, will be kind of the key, because, uh, you know, he has a look, but is that his actual look throughout the, um, is that the same look that he will be, like, throughout the movie, or is it going to change up? So, um but overall, like, the, the initial design that they had is um, is kind of like, it doesn't have me excited at all. Um, I kind of, like, I've shrugged my shoulders and been like, really, this is what you guys came up with? Um, as people have pointed out, it looks like, I think it's a Power Rangers bad guy. I don't remember. Somebody ooze. I think that... Um, um, I can't think of the character's name, but yep. Um, Let's talk about so Deadpool. yeah. So so far, I just uh, I just am very unexcited with it. Let's talk about Deadpool. Uh, yeah, so Deadpool. This one, everyone kind of said was the winner of the show. I'm not. I mean, I I think it got people who were already excited continue to be excited in the uh for what they're uh, what they're saying. I um I don't know what I've been expecting really to be honest from the movie. Um to me like my Deadpool in my mind is you know always really going to be the Deadpool that I read in Joe Kelly's run from the late 90s, like late, late 90s, which included like when Deadpool got killed, he came back as four different Deadpool. 
in the reign of a Superman, etc. Like that, Deadpool. Um, I looking at the trailer. This trailer, I think, which suffered particularly from being a poor recording. Um, I, to be honest, actually, the X Men trailer suffered a lot from the poor recording quality of the of it uh, that we were looking at too. Um, mm-hmm. This one, it was hard to really see what was going on. Um, Clearly, you know, a lot of lines that are supposed to be played for laughs, to me, were only able to muster, like, a bit of a smirk. But, again, they could work better in the actual movie. I was not amused by, and I'm not the only person to speak about this, but interestingly, I don't really see much press coverage of it. Um, I was not particularly amused by Deadpool calling a Colossus a... uh, big chrome cock gobbler. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, Deadpool's supposed to be a bad guy. He is, except he's making the joke and the audience is going to laugh at it. He's not saying the bad thing that people can be like, shut up, dickhead. He's saying the bad thing that other people will laugh at as the joke. And that's, you know, kind of fucked up. I, I don't, it's, it's, uh, it's an insult that's sexist and homophobic at the same time. And, yeah. um, that it's in and of itself is the joke of it, and I think that's fucked up. But yeah, we shall see when the actual film comes out. Like, what you know, does this get a reaction from someone? Like, does he just like backhand him across the room or something? Like, you know, and if he does that, is that just him saying that? Um, that's the proper way to respond to being accused of eating dicks. I mean. The whole thing is problematic and um, predictably so. And there was really no need for him to go there if he wanted to just make an insult. When I first began watching the trailer, I couldn't tell if they were doing the whole thing with um, Deadpool's skin being disgusting. Uh, But then he made it clear from what people were saying that, yes, that's part of it. Um, Which is important. It's It's very important to the character that he'd be revolting like that. Thanks for that. Um, but that just shows you how bad the video quality was, but I couldn't tell that that was the case until people began saying it. Yeah, so the quality definitely hurts, and we probably have a whole debate, or not debate, um, show about whether or not leaks help and hurt and why you wouldn't actually release the uh, the main video. Um, the, uh, I mean, the, the thing that I think they got right is they seem to get the... Um, the, the like pattern down with his talking, kind of his, his insults. So yeah, that I, pattern, I think is good. good. Yeah. yeah the was good. Uh, and I think that's Ryan Reynolds like that's definitely. That's kind of the point of the, of the character. Um, so I think they got. It seems like they got the vibe down well. Um. But we'll we'll see. I mean, it, it was kind of a, a bad. Recording, we're not seeing tons of it. Um, it'll, it'll be kind of interesting where it all goes from here. Oh, what do you think about the cock gobbler line? Um, I, it's to me, it's a childish joke that doesn't need it didn't need to exist. Um, is kind of like the the airboy issue, and that it's punching down, and that I would hope the writing was insult wise would be more um, creative than that. It's, uh, to me, it's just, it's one of those people that, where you just, like, look at and be like, seriously, this is your, this is your insult. Right. 
Yeah. 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 This, this is what you're going with. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, yes, it's, tr- it's troublesome and doesn't need to be there, but to me, it's more of an indicate. Um, uh, I, I would hope that the writing would be smarter. I think would be the best way of putting it. That they would actually yeah. come up with insults that were creative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you gobble if you if you if you Google online, like to see people's reaction to it, it's basically just a wall of dude bros being like, hur, hur, hur. and I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and, and think that if you're if you're that amused by that joke, then you're probably not getting your dick sucked enough. That's just my habit. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna throw out there. I don't I don't know what to tell you. <sighs> so. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, again, like, I'm kind of wait and see to see how it's handled, but it doesn't bode well to me, um, and that kind of shit pisses me off. As it should. It should piss us off. That's fucked up. Um, what, were there any other movies that comic, oh, yes, Fantastic Four trailers in the theaters, really. Yeah, um, that's about it. They didn't show anything new with Star Wars. Um, didn't show really anything else that kind of jumped out at me. I mean, I think that's the thing that was that amazed me most about the San Diego was there was nothing that like really jumped out and kind of like won the show. Um, there was a lot of little things, but no major things. You know, we haven't we we covered over while you were out. We covered the Marvel announcements of the new titles they were announcing and how yeah. they were just. So white dude-erific. Um, do we have any new announcements from them that are perhaps less white dude-erific, or is it we, are we still waiting to hear about that? Well, it's mixed. Uh, so they announced uh, Spider-Man Deadpool, so two white dudes. And then they announced a Blade, but the Blade is going to be his daughter. Yep. So not, that's a white, not that's a white, white. dude name. I just, I basically, I'm going to go on... I kind of want to go on Blade Strike, like not reading Blade unless Ronald Wimberly is writing it, basically, because <laughs> I loved that treatment he did so much. Oh my god! And yeah. people would read the heck out of that. It would totally attract a new constituency of and readership to, to to Marvel if they ran with that. Um, I mean, this new book looks cool, but it's really like you of all the things where you're like, really should consider having somebody who's a person. African American on the creative team, like this is that, you know, and they didn't do it. And there's no reason. Like it's one thing to have Bendis writing Miles Morales, whom he invented. There's no reason to say we need to have like a new team, a new Blade book, and like let's just have it be white people writing it. Like that's just fucking lazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's. Uh, I mean, we could have a whole, I mean, you you already talked about it, but yeah, we could have a whole thing about Marvel announcements. They seem to be hinting that there will be more diversity down the road, but I don't know also why you wouldn't kick off with that. Because it exactly. tells me that so those believe that Whatever the down the road is, is a reaction to our reaction, which again, brings up the point of like, yeah, it should happen because you fight for it, you know? Yeah, and so there's that, and also, it makes me think the stuff down the road isn't as exciting. Ah, like it might not be as high profile or whatever. Yeah, so like why wouldn't you want to kick off if it's like really good and awesome and gets people excited? So I don't know, we'll we'll see. Interesting. Uh, But they did, out of everyone, like Marvel really did not announce a whole lot. Um, They pretty much announced like nothing. Um, 
So they, they really kind of took the show off, which is uh, which is interesting that they did it. But they've got D23, which is Disney's big event, I think later in the summer. So there'll probably be some news there. Um, overall, I think it was just a very odd moment in their cycle. I kind of shocked that they didn't let it get people a bit more excited about the all new, all different Marvel because that's probably what I've been would have focused on a lot more. Um, but they seem to kind of do the minimum when it came to that stuff. What do you think about the the sheer number of new titles they're announcing? Like, it seems like a lot. Ten titles, ten, ten to fifteen titles a week seems to be really excessive. Are you thinking they're just trying to launch a lot of things to see what sticks? Uh, that's kind of the vibe I got. But you know, I mean, how many like? It's yeah, I mean, really DC launched... What, what they're not going to do, they're not going to promote the things that are going to have more of a niche audience so they'll fail, because that's what they do every time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the stuff will fail, and they'll, they'll blame on, blame other things when it might have just very well been that you released a shit ton of stuff and people don't have time to pick all this up and you guys need a smaller um, smaller line to, to do this sort of thing. Um, I think the, the wrong lessons will probably be learned, but we'll see. I mean, it, uh, it's probably not the direction I would go. Um, I would probably do it a bit more like DC, where DC is doing the 10 to 15, but a lot of them are um, miniseries that are only lasting six issues, so you can rotate them out a lot. Um, you can try a lot of new things that way uh, and see what, what works and what doesn't. Um, to me, that seems to be a bit smarter as far as um, how to do content. So overall, like out of the big two, DC, I think, has, has surprised and won me over way more than Marvel. Um, I'm actually much more excited about their books than I have been Marvel's, which is such a change because um, I was yeah. a Marvel person. <laughs> I know. I really noticed a huge shift in my reading. You know, there's a lot of things that Marvel is putting out that are like, oh, that's good. I would check that out. But like with a limited buying amount, it's like, ooh. You know, I, I wish that they had more things. I, I wish we had more things that um, were like, you hear it announced and you're like, oh, fuck, I have to read it. The way you hear it when you're like, Black Canary book, she's in a band that's traveling the country and the artist is being true. And you're like, what? Yeah, Marvel, yep. like, there were a few things like that in the announcement, um, you know, one of which being, like, in the Venn diagram of people who are really excited about the existence of there being a Warren Ellis written book about Karnak the Shatterer, like, that's me! But, um, that, so that, that was a, like, that's such a weird thing that only I give a fuck about, I'm kind of, like... And of course, like the weird book that only I give a fuck about that gets chosen to be made is featuring a white human man. But um, nevertheless, I'm totally into it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not sure how to feel about the whole, you know, Scarlet Witch, James Robinson, Kevin Wada covers book. Like, they're just trying to make it really hard for me to not buy it because I love Kevin Wada's art so, so much. But I really don't know how to feel about Robinson writing a female character who has serious psychiatric issues as like one of her defining characteristics for the past decade. Yeah. 
yeah, that there's a lot uh, as far as their announcements that I've been I'm very nervous about. Um, and there's nothing that I am super excited about. I mean, I will always check stuff out when it comes out, um, but um, there's nothing that like I'm jumping up and down, being like, "Oh my god, oh my god, this is amazing!" When I was doing that for DC, like DC stuff is actually really exciting and very interesting, and it seems fresh and new and um, backing up, like, they said that they were going to focus on diversity and doing things different and having and different voices and styles, and they did. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Karnak 1 is something that I'm really excited about because I'm a fucking weird person, and it's not actually <laughs> necessarily indicative of future necessary directions in comics. You know, we're not saying, like, the reason that comics don't have a wider, diverse audience is because they're not featuring enough Silver Age Kirby-invented oddities with shattering powers and wacky costumes. Written by genius writers, I might, mind you. Um, but it's kind of niche. So, and I just think, yeah, if they're going to do stuff that's like niche but like is awesome, they really should... I, I said this, but I'm going to restate it, I think, more specifically this time. If they're going to be doing some oddball stuff, like why wouldn't that oddball stuff featuring their female characters or characters of color rather than, you know, oddball stuff featuring white dudes, just more white dudes? It's sort of like the reason I didn't, one of the reasons I didn't get excited look watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is just because the announced cast was all was predominantly white people. And there's, if you're going to invent new characters, there's no reason that the majority of them should be white. Like most of them should be people of color to make up for the fact that they historically there haven't been enough. Um, you know, one of the things I really respect with Gail Simone is like when she invents new characters, they're, they're people of color. She just does that consistently because there's enough fucking white people already, you know? Yep. Totally agree with you. Um, yes, you nailed it. Um, but other than that, I think that kind of wraps up like the show and my general thoughts on it and... Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is Otakon, which I head to this weekend. And then afterwards, Gen Con, the following week. Yeah. What? And then another yeah. one the weekend after. You, you're, you're, you're hard-traveling heroes in the mold of the Mansion Green Arrow of the 70s. And we're going to have to just find you some really dramatic moments to shout about things against yourself. I mean, obviously, you're Green Arrow in this situation. You know, you'll have to find some conservative dickbag to argue with. We'll get your we'll get your psychic addicted to heroin. It's going to be a great time for everyone. Um, so what's this con you're going to next weekend? Oh, uh, so next weekend is Otakon, Otakon which is Otakon. the anime and manga one. So that's not really your jam, usually, is it? No, no, no. no. I've been to it like the last three years, um, and I just I kind of just think the show is really fascinating because one, I don't know tons about it, and it's just a very different vibe from. Um, from the other conventions. It's a lot of younger kids, it's a lot of cosplay, um, and it's all anime and manga, so it's not stuff that I know wow. super well, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting that, one. Like, you should get, like, a, a hardcore fan to, like, be your guy, basically, like, help tell you what's what. I'm going to attempt to do that this time. That is, uh, that is the goal. I think that could be uh, an interesting oh. experience to, like, have somebody really be, like, your guy around it. Yeah. And then what's the so, con after that? What's that one? one? You said it's WonderCon? That's in L.A. Uh, GenCon. GenCon in Indianapolis, oh. the board board game one. So uh, that will be four days. Indianapolis. Of, 
Yes. I'm actually going to, to the shit state of Indiana, uh, Indiana, even though they hate the gays. Yeah, and, like, they were going to have to move Worldcon take it next time, right? Genton, yes. Well, uh, it'll be a couple years before Sorry, the, the yeah, before the actual um, deal is up. But um, everything was booked beforehand because otherwise I probably would really be thinking twice about going. Uh, even though they supposedly uh, uh, amended the legislation, but yeah, whatever. So, plus, I just think it will be interesting to see what is going on there, and if people do have uh, reactions to it at the convention. Cool. Plus, they actually have a comics writer symposium, which is their first time ever, which should be kind of cool. Oh, neat, neat. We'll come back, and we look forward to getting your report. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's everything. Um, we will be back next week. We might have a guest. Yes, we should. Um, I fucked up. We were supposed to have a guest tonight, and I didn't follow up, and hopefully they'll be available next week. We'll see. Uh, I don't want to okay. promise until we know, but um, we've got a very big guest coming up in August. I know we have Genevieve Valentine, the writer of Catwoman, who'll be joining us at that point. So, yes. that. That will be awesome. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything that we kind of wanted to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, well, thank you everyone for listening uh, to Graphic Policy Radio. Of course, you can find us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere at Graphic Policy. We keep it nice and consistent. Until next time, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. And you can keep it geeky.